What's up, buddy? Mr. Matt Spendley, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing all right. I'm just getting in. Just uh, ate a cookie and some pretzels, so I think I'm fueled up for the night. Oh, baby, that's all you need. Yeah. Some protein, you know, all the good stuff. Yep, 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 yep. That's all I need. I had a bagel all day today, and uh, I think I'm ready. Oh Actually, you know what I? You know what I did eat this morning? I had a oh, I had a Cliff Bar, and you know, usually when I go to work, I'll start the morning off with a Cliff Bar. Uh, Dog, I'm a big Cliff Bar guy. Big Cliff Bar guy. What's your favorite flavor? Well, I tried these new ones. Usually, I'm like a. Usually, I'll, I'll switch between like um, the chocolate. Or no, I've been doing um, RX bars lately because they kind of okay. they got like a little bit of a more natural thing. They have a really good sea salt and chocolate one. They have a mixed berry one that's rad too. But for Cliff bars, I've been doing this new one with caffeine infused into it. Dude, I had those. It, they're kind of they get you jolting. I know. I because I remember I bought this box just like saw it at the supermarket. And I'm like, this looks good. Uh, I got peanut toffee fudge or peanut toffee buzz. It's called peanut toffee yep. buzz. I love that one. That one's great. And Dude, it's I, good shit. Yeah. And I just, oh my God, I had a cup of coffee with the first one I had and I was flying high all day. <laughs> <laughs> it was so Caffeine wild. overdose. Yeah. Oh my God. And I'm, I'm bad too because, you know, I, I was working in that coffee shop forever. So oh, yeah. I, I'm bad with my caffeine. It's. The resolution to do something about that, but we'll see if it's this year or in years in the future. Just think the exact opposite, and that's me, because I never have caffeine because I don't drink any coffee ever. Oh my god! So that that one bar must have had you set for like three days. Dude, it was great. I was still woke up the next day, and I was like, "This shit is still in my system." It's crazy you went to sleep at all. <laughs> I, I remember. When I know. I, I, when I'm I used shocked. to take like pre workout, the first couple of times, like when I was in college and I was I was taking pre workout. I was like, I was living in the dorm, so you know, like regular schedules just mean nothing to you at that point. And right. I was like, I was on a regular like 11 p.m. workout kick, and I started drinking pre-workout till like 11 p.m. I was going to going to the gym with my roommate, and I would literally just afterwards be laying in my bed until 7:30 in the morning, just not doing 11 anything. 11 p.m. gym sesh. Yeah. Damn. See, like when I was in college, I haven't taken pre-workout much since I moved out of college when i was right. in college i would take the pre-workout at like four because that's when i work out right before dinner and then you know keep you going through dinner and then you kind of relax as it like wore off and you got your workout in and everything 11 p.m that's wild yeah dude because that that's like wild. literally it was not a good idea because that shit kept me up till 7 30 and then i would I go with my imagine. roommate too and he was a uh, I had like a suite so he was the room over and i would like um i would ask him the next morning i was like i'd be like dude did you have trouble sleeping? Like I was up till seven thirty, and he was like, "Yeah, me too." And like we just both like respectively stayed in our own rooms till seven thirty in the morning, just like dreading the night that we were having instead of just making the best of it and hanging out or something. We just just it would just ruined us. You know what? If you got the good pump in, though, I think that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I am I'm far <laughs> removed from those days, but um, <laughs> that's all right. All right, you want to get this thing going? Let's do it. All right, well, welcome everybody to a TKW podcast, special edition installment, we'll call it. Uh, I've missed you all dearly over the last couple of days. Uh, thank you for bearing with us while we have our little Christmas break there. Uh, joining me today is one of our wonderful editors at the Next Wall, Matt Spendley. What's going on, Matt? What's up, Anthony? I would just like to say I also missed everyone since the last time I did this podcast, which I think was in October. Was it right when the season started? I think you and yeah. me did one. Yeah, we did one. I was looking at it the other day. It was it was, it yeah. was a good one. I think it was right when they had lost their first three games or something like that, and we were just talking about how shitty the whole season was going to be. So I guess things have gotten better since then. But you know, yeah. Let's let's hope that you know bringing you back on gets us <laughs> some more good mojo, brings us back hey, to the losing streak. But um, that's all I can hope for. So before we get going today, I just want to make two. I'm going to do two quick early plugs. I'm sorry about the last time I did early plugs. I might go in for like five minutes, but um, two quick ones. The first one, this Saturday, 
December. Th- I almost said September 30th, but December 30th. <laughs> December. Uh, yeah, December. We are doing our first ever TKW fan meetup. Um, if you haven't gotten a ticket yet, I'm sorry. We are like legitimately sold out. So we'll see you next time. But for everyone who has, we're really stoked to hang out with you. Um, that's Smithfield Hall. It's on what I believe to be 25th and 7th. I still haven't looked that up since like the three weeks ago that I said I was going to. Um, but I believe it's like 125th. Whatever it is. Smithfield Hall, NYC. Look it up. Meet us there. We're going to watch the watch the Knicks take on the Pelicans. It's going to be a blast. Are you coming, Matt? Oh, I'll be there. I'm excited. I'm excited to see you, bud. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. I haven't seen you last year, right? During yeah. the winter, we had a meetup, and then we had the one couple months ago but this will be nice we'll get to meet some of the people that have been interacting with us and i mean just watching the knicks with other people is great because it's just the same feeling that we all have when we watch the game you know it's not the same when you're sitting there by yourself or watching with a couple people watching with you know 50 plus knicks fans just going to be something that you can't do every day so we're excited for yeah no it's going to be a blast um number two the second plug i want to make early here because we've fit we announced it on um we announced it on twitter the other day we are officially launching the TKW Podcast Network. And I'm real stoked yeah. about that. And what that oh, means me is that we are prepared to unroll a brand new podcast for you all. It is being called Off the Wall. It is featuring the dynamic duo of Jared Mintz and Joe Nardone reunited. And yeah, they're going to be talking about everything that we're not talking about. So... NBA and college basketball and anything that's outside of the Knicks and you want to hear a little bit more, that's your place to go. Um, We are going to have the new feed up in just a couple of days so we can start getting you all to subscribe. And I believe they are making their debut on January 8th. So a week from New Year's. And yeah, I couldn't be more excited about it. And it's going to seems like it's going to be a blast. So tune into that. That's the end of my little my little plug rant. Um, I am also beyond excited for that pod because I've been watching more college basketball this year. And I know a big thing we tried to do last year was get our draft coverage a step up. And I think those guys are going to do a great job talking about the guys that are going to be potential guys that the Knicks could keep an eye on. Just an overall view on college basketball because a lot of NBA fans struggle to get into it if they don't have a team. And I think that's going to be a great segue. You always got to have something to root for. And getting into it now is when you want to get into it before March comes around. So you can watch in March and be like, well, you know, this guy might end up somewhere around where the Knicks might pick. You know, he's a fun guy to follow. You never know. So and there's been a ton of great college basketball this year. There's a ton of fun players. Trey Young, Marvin Bagley. A lot of these guys have looked awesome. So I'm really excited for that pod's launch, too. Going to be a blast. Yeah, I mean, Matt, that's kind of described my situation right there, too, where I just I don't really watch any college basketball at all. And every year I say I'm going to, but I never have a team or an, or an entrance point, you know. So I'm excited for this. Joe is a great college basketball mind. Um, if you're not following him on Twitter, I'll plug him at the end of the show because I don't have it offhand. But um, but yeah, real excited for that. Um, in the meantime, Matt, we have, it is a holiday week. I think that the holidays extend all through this week. It's a weird time. Um, a lot of us are traveling, and so a lot of us didn't catch that Knicks-Bulls game last night. A lot of us mean well, they're the, they're the lucky ones. Yeah, well, a lot of us meant me. So I need you to fill me in here. <laughs> uh, you know, it came down to the wire. There was a, it was a tie game towards the end, and what happened down the stretch, it just made us lose this one. So I think you're seeing... A lot of the concerns that you have when you don't have one of the elite coaches in the NBA on your sideline. I don't think Jeff Hornacek's a bad coach. It's just more and more you watch and it feels like he's not the coach for this team. They're running these plays at the end and they're taking so long to get into their sets. You'll see Neil Aquino or Jack is up at the top calling for the play. 12 seconds on the shot clock. All of a sudden they're trying to run. KP's calling for a screen and he never gets it. So he has to run around, grab the ball. Courtney Lee had one play at the end where he got the ball with about three seconds left, and he had an opportunity to either drive or kick to KP. And it's something that if he had had eight seconds left on the shot clock, he had way more options, but he had to take one dribble and have a long two, which is the exact wrong look you want in that scenario. And then when they need a bucket, they need a three to tie the game. It's 90 to 87. You have Michael Beasley inbounding the ball, which is a whole other thing that I was going to talk about. I saw Frank Isola tweet about it. You wonder why Michael Beasley is inbounding the ball. We all love Michael Beasley. We love having fun 
We also love making fun of him at his expense sometimes. It's one of those things. It's, it's he's like it's an not ironic love, but also ironic at the same time. He should never be inbounding the ball. He's not the guy that has the highest basketball IQ on this team. So he should never be the one inbounding the ball. So they run a set. KP goes to the corner. There's nothing there. They throw the ball to Cantor, who shoots a three. Cantor's not a three-point shooter. It might have been his first three of the season. I can't remember. I believe it so is. So he bricks it. Yeah, so he bricks it. Even though it was a pretty decent look and Cantor's got a decent touch. When he put it up, I wasn't like, oh my God, that's not going in. But I also wasn't like, okay, that's definitely the look they wanted. It was pretty clear they wanted KP in the corner, get off the screen. But that never came to fruition. And the NBA said today that they should have called a five-second violation. Beasley had the ball for seven seconds. Uh, easily. Easily had it for seven seconds. So Cantor breaks it. Go down. He did the same thing in the Christmas game, too. And he got Correct. called for it on that one. Uh, Correct. So you're wondering why he's still inbounding the ball. And honestly, why he's on the court in crunch time, he's just one of those guys that's so hit or miss game to game. I know, if he's and that, hot, that's the one thing. I mean, like I was saying it while I was watching the game on Christmas, and uh, and you know, just in general, like I get it. I know the dude's going to give you thirty points sometimes. Like I know he's going to have monster games where it looks like there's nothing he can do wrong in the court. But you gotta, you gotta maintain it. Like there's, there's a lot that comes with those thirty point games. And it's it's I'm I'm all set for the time being. He's good when he's serving his role. You can tell you could tell early in a game when it's not going to be his game. You know, he comes over, he misses a couple shots and, you know, his shot selection is never great. And you're just like, okay, this is not a good Michael Beasley game. The issue is, which I think we're going to get to a little later, is that when you don't have Hardaway Jr. out there to play on the wing. All of a sudden, you're looking at, okay, so who's going to come in for Beasley or who's going to take those minutes? Is it going to be Doug McDermott? Is it going to be Lance Thomas? Who Lance Thomas has just done nothing, I don't think, recently for this team. Besides defensively, they can still throw him on a guy. He did a good job on Miritich. But watching him offensively is painful. And Lance, Lance is watching. kind of a product of, you know, he, he's kind of one of the guys who's taken the Tim, the Tim Hardaway injury like the most. Because he's he's, you know playing outside of his element very much so he's not a starter sure. he's getting all these extra minutes here you know Beasley is more playing what Lance's role has been like the last couple of years I would say maybe not you know just from where he's positioned on the court and the minutes he's getting and everything like that like that that's Lance's spot right there they do different things but I'm, right. I'm just feel like he's not quite sure what he should be doing right now and completely understandable and Thomas yeah. is sitting there and he doesn't provide as much floor spacing as someone like obviously a Hardaway Jr. does or a McDermott, uh, he can make a three. It's just he's not the guy you want spotting up. He's been much better since early in his career. He was terrible, and that was one of the great things a couple of years ago when the Knicks got him, and he was all of a sudden shooting 45% from three. But he's still only taken one a game. So he's not someone the defense is going to pay attention to a lot. So you can somehow slip him in sometimes for one or two threes, and all of a sudden if he hits a couple, it's nice. But he just brings nothing on offense besides that. When he drives to the hoop, He's not making a layup. Every once in a while, he'll manage to get a layup in, get around a defender and lay it in. But around the rim, he's not good. He's not a threat from really anywhere. And they have him out there defensively, and we know that. But something's got to give when you lose all those points from Hardaway and you're having Thomas on the floor instead. Well, let's let's take a look at... So let, let's look at this in the scope of like the Christmas game and the last couple of games as well. You know, you have, you have uh, Lance Thomas, who's not going to contribute anywhere but, you know, but defensively. You have... Michael Beasley, who, if he's going to give you anything, he's giving you offense. Um, you have Ennis Cantor, who is also, you know, he's been better this year, I think, but only going to give you that offense around the rim. And, you know, like you said, that's the first three he took all season. He sure didn't make it. And, you know, you have a lot of these other guys on the team who I think we can honestly say at this point are pretty one-dimensional players. How much is that affecting what the Knicks can do and, like, yeah, you know, how how does that impact a guy like say Courtney Lee or even you know some signs from Frank who you know are, can play other roles on the court and not quite get caught in there in that one stereotype for him? I think that this kind of goes back to the coaching. A lot of the guys on the Knicks roster have certain skills they're really good at, and I just don't think the coaching staff is doing a good enough job to maximize them. The only guy I think that they do that well for is Cantor. Because they give Cantor his post touches, and he's been great in the post. They run through the pick and roll a little bit. Um, we know how good he is around the rim. When you throw it into the post, and he's eight feet from the rim, you feel pretty good about him making a bucket. 
and you can see how he can go off for these games against, you know, against Philly, he goes for 31 and 22 and it just goes berserk against guys like Embiid, you know, that are not slouches defensively. Those guys are going to give you problems down there. But I just look at a guy like Courtney Lee. So let's talk about Courtney Lee for a second. You brought him up. Courtney Lee absolutely unequivocally does not take enough threes. He's been he's been an above average three point shooter to elite three point shooter his entire time with the Knicks and prior to that. He's only in the 26th percentile in terms of wing players and three pointers of his arsenal that are taken. 26th percentile. This is a guy that shoots in the 92nd percentile in terms of efficiency. He doesn't take enough threes. I still don't think Porzingis takes enough threes. I think they don't do a good enough job of exploiting the matchups when you get guys on him that aren't quite going to want to come out to get him. Run him around some screens. Let him run. He's agile. He can do those kind of things. Get him open looks. They dump it to him in the post too much. And I'm telling you, sometimes you squint, you're just like, I see Mello there. And that's not a slight to Mello at all because I know we love Mello. But you're just like, you don't want to see Porzingis just pound, pound, pound in the post. We know he can go over the top. It's something he does well. But you don't want to see it to the frequency that it's been this year because the Knicks shoot so many mid-range shots. And I just don't think it's a formula for success in today's NBA. And I think that all goes back to the coaching and not doing a good enough job of exploiting the advantages that each of your players owns. So kind of on those advantages real quick, because I don't want to move past this game before uh, we give some props here, because Ennis Cantor, what was his final uh, stat line? Do you have that on hand? It was it was yeah, 30 points and 20 rebounds plus in both places, and that's all I really care about. But So he had 31 and 22. I know oh him because God. I did a DraftKings NBA lineup and I had him. Oh, my which God. Which was glorious. It was like 60-something so, points he got you, right? Yeah, and so 31 and 22, and he had an assist to boot. Uh, yeah, he was incredible. He was just eating offensive rebounds galore. One thing, cause I, this doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, actual NBA exactly, but I was looking at lineups and I wanted to start a Nick and I was looking and the Sixers gave up the most fantasy points to centers. So that's why I had a good idea about Cantor. I just think the Sixers did a really bad job of actually pushing Cantor out. He was just bullying everyone down there and he's just relentless. Like he does such a good job of getting around the three guys. Sometimes he'll even tip it up to himself and then grab it. It's not always like a putback. He doesn't actually put back that many, like in terms of Porzingis, who sometimes will come flying in for the putback dunk right off the rim. Cantor doesn't do a lot of that. years since we've seen one of those, but he, yeah, he comes down, lays that thing in so strong. He's just a fun guy to watch. And you can say what you want about his deficiencies. I think they're there, but it's one thing that Bill Simmons said on the ringer show this week he never understood why the Thunder didn't just put Cantor in places where he could succeed. Because there was that famous video of Billy Donovan saying, can't play Cantor. And sure, you can't play him you know, 25 minutes against some of the teams that the Thunder were going to play in the playoffs. But put him in places where he can succeed and let him eat. And I think he's a great match next to Porzingis. And I think we've seen that with how the net ratings have played out for their lineups together. So, yeah, nothing but good things to say about Cantor. His... Pick and roll defense has actually been worse than it has been the last two years, according to NBA stats. So that's something to think about. But it's we already knew it was bad. So that wasn't something that was all of a sudden going to get better in his you know seventh year in the NBA. So I agree. I really, really agree with what you said about, because um, I don't think enough is being spoken about this, but Cantor and KP next to each other just looks really, really good. Um, they, I feel like they can play off each other really well. Cantor obviously makes up for KP's rebounding inconsistencies. Yes. Um, but he could be a free agent this summer. And he's been probably the most steady player on the Knicks. Maybe, you know, Courtney Lee right up there with him. But Cantor's probably been the most steady player on the Knicks. And I would even argue one of the most steady players in the entire NBA. Putting up solid, you know, 15 and 10 nights left and right. What is how likely do you think he is? So he picks up this option. It's eighteen million dollars. It's he doesn't have an agent right now, um, or do you think he's trying to? He's going to test the waters this summer and think he can get a better contract. Unless he thinks that some team's going to pay him over four years, which I just don't see happening, I'll be shocked if he doesn't opt in next year. Like I think he'll be on the Knicks next year, making that eighteen million. How much better could he really be the rest of the year? So he's averaging 13 and 10 right now, right? 60% plus shooting. 
has been great next to Porzingis. We already mentioned that. Goes berserk on Christmas. So all eyes are on him. You still got to come back to the fact who is going to pay a player like him $18 million in today's NBA. Well, there are very the few too. teams. Yeah, I, right, I was just about to echo your point you're about to make. There, I looked it up before. There are only eight teams who have like who project out of the cap space to be able to even sign him for anything more than that. Do you have those teams on hand? Uh, I don't. I can check. Just give me one second. Sure. It's it's teams like Chicago. I think we'll have some money. You know, Philly yes. maybe. Chicago's right and, there. It's Atlanta, yeah. Chicago, Phoenix, Indiana, Lakers, Sacramento, Philly, and Dallas. So, so think about those teams. They're either bad and not trying to get any more veterans, or they already have guys there, and Cantor doesn't make any sense right. for what he would have to be paid. Right. Atlanta and Chicago are out immediately just because Atlanta doesn't need to stock up on veterans. Chicago's got uh, you know veteran bigs already. Phoenix yeah. doesn't, definitely doesn't need any more bigs. <laughs> no, uh, you don't. Come on. They already have Tyson Chandler and Greg Monroe. <laughs> you don't think they want another veteran big in there? Come on. Unless they, they can, can get, unless they can get someone who can like really, who can duplicate what, uh, was that Bender had that beautiful inbounds play to, uh, Tyson Chandler? Yeah, that was day? sick. Oh my God. Big Dragon Bender fan. Yeah. Don't I'm, give up on him. He's I, awesome. I'm not. I'm definitely not. And I, I still, I still got a, some feels for, uh, Tyson Chandler. So. Yeah, I think we all do. Um, just go special place in our hearts. Just going through the rest of these teams here, like Indiana's got Miles Turner and Sabonis, and you know they and you know I don't know if Thad Young's still in the plans or whatever, but you know solid front court rotation there. Yeah, the Lakers got too many happen. bigs. Sacramento doesn't need Cantor. Philly's got too many bigs. Dallas, you know, Dallas might be the only place that it actually makes sense for him to go to. But I, I even that's like you know. I just don't the see that. Like, like it's see... Dallas or the Knicks, basically, I see at this point. The only way I could see the Mavs doing something like that is because Dirk, you know, I don't know what his contract situation is. I think it's up after this year. And then, Maybe you know, you gotta, yeah. he's at the end of the road. I think he'll retire. Unless yes. they say to themselves, we want to make a jump next year because we think Harrison Barnes and Dennis Smith are our core and we want to add one guy. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't see where else he would go that he would make the same amount of money. So I think he opts in, plays next year on the Knicks. You know, the Knicks are going to have their basically same team coming back next year. And then after that, we'll see what happens. So if you had to ha- have me put odds on it, I'd say 90, 10, 90 that he opts in 10 that he opts out. That's a strong odds. And I don't, I don't think those odds are going to get any more favorable towards the ops outside. That's just my opinion. If I was Cantor, I would say I like playing in New York. The city feeds off me and I don't have that much pressure on me because of guys like Porzingis and Hardaway Jr. that are making more, and I got traded here. It's not my fault that I'm making this much money. You know, it's not like the team gave it to me. So if I'm cancer, I'm opting in, playing next year with the Knicks, and then seeing what happens. So uh, that makes sense to me. I'm right along, right alongside for the ride there. And I don't mind that at all. You know, it's a big number. It's an even bigger number when you realize that that's, you know, more than even Noah's making. Um, God bless. I know. But let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the rest of the centers here. You know, we got some things have been coming out about uh, you know Billy Hernan Gomez is he's not you know he Billy Hernan Gomez is a great team player. You know, he he loves New York. He loved what he was able to do here last year. Um, but I think it's starting to frustrate him. He hasn't played in ten of the last eleven games. He and in that span, you know, he's only played you know five minutes or so in the one game he got into. Um, I think it was like 534. I can't find the number right now. But yeah, but it's like what so the trade deadline's coming up. And it's kind of there seems to be a lot of paths that that the Knicks can go down here, but not all of them are clear. Really any of them are really too explicitly clear. So I'm kind of trying to think like what what happens with Billy from here? What are the Knicks going to try to do around the trade deadline? Is there any possible deal that we could see Noah heading out in uh you know what say you okay let's keep it a buck about Hernan Gomez for a second here let's keep it real Hernan Gomez if he ever reaches this ceiling will be 85 percent of the player that Ennis Cantor is I don't think he can ever be better than Ennis Cantor I think that's his mold that's how he would have to be if he wanted to be good. And we could talk about Cantor's defensive deficiencies as much as we want. Hernan Gomez is worse, which says a lot. He's still young, but I watch Cantor, and a lot of the things that he does well are things that we said Hernan Gomez did well when he was a rookie. 
So that part of the situation, I just don't see Hernan Gomez reaching that ceiling. And I've said this for a while. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, because he hasn't played. You know, all of a sudden, I don't think he has this ceiling anymore. I talked about Hernan Gomez way back in May before he even came to the NBA about being in the NBA and being with the Knicks. So as much as it pains me, I just don't see where his ceiling is. And in turn with that, I don't see how the Knicks trade him because what are you going to get for him? Well, I mean, he would have to be part of something bigger, right? Like right. He would have, would he, could you see him potentially being a throw in in a deal to make, to get Noah out of here? Okay. So let's yeah. talk about Mr. Joe Kim Noah for a second. The biggest clapper in the NBA, most claps per game, Joe Kim Noah. So the only type of trade you can get rid of him would be some sort of deal where you have to trade him and package him with an asset. And I think that would almost 100% have to be a future first-round pick. So if you're a Knicks fan and you want to get rid of Joe Kim Noah, you also have to be okay with the fact that you'd be shedding yourself of an asset in a first-round pick. Or Neil Aquina, which the Knicks are not going to trade Neil Aquina, I don't think. So, so at it what makes point, no sense. At what point do you think the Knicks kind of, you know, is there a point, okay, so Noah's contract has two more seasons after this. God fucking yes. bless. But, you know, like, at what point do they, at what point do you, the Knicks, do you think the Knicks consider themselves good enough that they would be okay with moving that first round pick? Especially with the last 10 years and how haphazardly the Knicks have dealt with first round picks. You know, at, at what point do you, it, does that become worth it to shed that out for, to get rid of Noah? I don't think you can do that until you establish a culture around Porzingis and gave yourself another chance to go and get another draft pick. Because if you think about, so shedding Noah, there's almost no scenario where you can get rid of Noah, give up a pick and also shed yourself of money moving forward. So it's something that our capologist Nick's film school could look at for us. Yep. But when I was looking at it, here's the type of deals you're going to do with Noah. You're going to have to trade it for some other stupidly big contract. It's just, it, there's not a lot of other things that make sense on the surface. You can do something like I think about the Nets deal that they did with Mozgov and the Lakers traded Mozgov and D'Angelo Russell and the Nets gave back um, Nets Kyle get, Kuzma. Yeah. And yeah. And all that stuff. Yeah. So wow, I, that I type completely of, forgot Kuzma was even in there. Which is wild because so I remember crazy. at the time I was like, why did the Nets trade that first round pick? They definitely didn't have to do that. And then all of a sudden Kyle Kuzma is a top three rookie of the year candidate. But, you know, I digress. It just I just think Joe Kim Noah is here. And I don't think it makes a lot of sense for the Knicks to mortgage their future just to get money to then throw at some free agent that, you know, it would end up being something like they did with Hardaway Jr., who I was more optimistic on than most when he got here. But the type of thing where they have money and, oh, let's just spend it anyways because we have it. And I just don't think a Noah deal makes a lot of sense. You'd end up looking at guys like, I was thinking about other guys that have similar contracts that just got signed or something that other teams might want to give up on, like a Chandler Parsons or a Danilo Gallinari. Mm -hmm. But both of those, the Knicks would definitely have to give something else up because Noah is obviously worse than those guys. And who knows if those teams actually want to do a deal like that. The only thing I was thinking of is the Clippers and the Grizzlies are two teams that are definitely on the downhill. The Grizzlies, I don't think, are going to do anything in terms of tanking fully because I think they want to keep Conley installed around. But all of a sudden, if the Clippers are getting rid of DeAndre Jordan and they just want to purge everything and the Knicks are like, all right, give us Danilo Gallinari, we'll give you Joe Kim Noah and a first-round pick or something. I don't know who says no first. I just, At, on the surface level, that's the only thing that makes any yeah. sense to me right now. There might be some other things the Knicks could do, but the bottom line is if you're going to trade Joe Kim Noah, you're going to have to give up another asset, and it depends on how you feel about that and yeah. how you feel about no, getting rid I of mean, Noah. Unless they wanted to stretch him, which is something they could also do, but that's going to be more money on their cap moving forward. Right. I, I Eventually, I do believe it ends up in the stretch. I, I think you got... I would say we got maybe another season or so of Noah before they start considering it like a full year from now, and then I could see him getting waived around the trade deadline next year if they wanted to go that route. But it, it's a lot of money. And I kind of, I like what you were saying. Uh, like, you know, I think Gallinari coming back here would be, you know, I think that would be a fair deal to consider. I also don't, wouldn't mind Parsons coming back here for, uh, you know, for Noah. 
the whole thing is like those are like the two teams you can you can think of that would even make any sense. And yeah, you still got to give out an asset to them because they're rebuilding teams. And plus, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with DeAndre Jordan, but the Gr- Grizzlies definitely don't want to move away from Marcus Saul, and they definitely don't want to move away from Marcus Saul to bring in Joakim Noah. Like that's just not going to be received well with uh, you know, with what the Grizzlies have been doing, and especially considering the fact that the Grizzlies have been you know started this whole new media team. It's a little, it's a little crazy to even think of. Yeah, my point with the Grizzlies being that they would, if they got rid of Gasol, like traded him somewhere else, and then would just say, "All right, we're just going to try to get rid of as much money as we can, and we'll just take Joe Kim Noah because we want to get rid of Chandler Parsons and throw an asset in there." It's just, it's a big fat contract, and there's not a lot of teams that are looking for centers. And we can use that to kind of transition into the Knicks glut at center and the amount of money that they're paying to all their centers because I don't know if there's a lot of teams out there that are looking for the type of player that the Knicks want to get rid of. It feels like they're big sellers and the market's just not quite there. Because if you're the Knicks, I think the guy that makes the most sense to get rid of if you just want to get assets is Cantor because he's played the best, but the Knicks are not going to trade him because I think he's soaked up this New York mentality and I think that he's important to what the Knicks want to do. So he's not going to get traded. And I also, again, don't think the market's there. So I think if you're going right. to trade him, what are you going to get for him? You're not going to get what you want, and it's not going to be equal value. Right, and Cantor so, is still 24 years old. Still young. like ve- Or 24 or 25, but he's very yeah, much... Yeah, he might be 25. He's been in the NBA for a little while now. He's been Yeah, that's the thing. He, he's been around for a bit, so he, he feels older than he is. He's also just a monstrous-looking human being. So yes. yeah, in the best way possible. Also had a massive glow up when he was a rookie. He was just a yes. goofy looking and yes, he was like low key so. pretty fat. I was looking at <laughs> and those. He's really glowed up. He slimmed yeah. down. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't quite a uh, Kevin Love or Mark Gasol, but he, he definitely did his work. In the same vein. I think Cantor might have been uglier because at least Kevin Love, when he was kind of chubby, was still like a good looking guy. Mark Gasol is close to where Cantor was. Yeah. Massive glow up for all those guys, really. Good for them. Yeah. No, good for them. Um, Noticed how they all grew beards to make it the glow up complete. I think that says a lot about bearded people too. It says a lot about myself. I'm not just saying that because we have beards, but you know. <laughs> um, so just real quick, looking at the looking at the rest of the the rest of the roster before we move on off of uh, the trade deadline. You know, Kyle O'Quinn is someone who's getting talked about a lot. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot of pieces on the Knicks roster that don't entirely make sense, regardless of if they're playing well together right now or not. Um, so just give me your quick hits on who you think should be, you know, who you think can be traded and what the Knicks really should be looking to bring in to shore up this team a little bit more. So before the season, I was team trade Courtney Lee at any cost, whatever it takes trade him, you know, don't trade him for nothing, but get him off the roster somewhere else. I think he's proven that he's the perfect kind of veteran to have around a younger team. And you can rely on him for a lot of things that I didn't think you could. He's been good in the pick and roll as a ball handler. He's been good spotting up, which we know he's good at, which again, they should do more. They should run around more screens, get him more opportunities from three. And he defends well. We knew these were things he could do, but I think he's done them even better than He's done in his whole career. I do think this is the best year of his career so far. So he's not a guy I would want to get rid of at this stage. Kyle O'Quinn is a guy that makes, I think he makes sense for other teams. Like if I'm the Pelicans, for example, the Pelicans don't have any backup bigs. I think Kyle O'Quinn's a perfect guy to stick in there because the Pelicans are so shallow. If you stick a guy like O'Quinn in your second unit, I think he makes a lot of sense there. Throw the Knicks a second round pick or something and a small, you know, check Diallo or something. I don't know if they'd be willing to part with a younger guy like that. Um, but they, you know, all, they, they need shooting help like nobody's business. So I, I sure. feel like they're one of those teams that would be willing to part with a little bit more uh, if it's going to give them some more, uh, you know, instant gratification. Especially since they got to keep AD happy in these next sure. couple of years. And I love what Etan Moore's been doing for them. He's been shooting the lights out. Man's a stud. I wanted the Knicks to every get him, but he was a free year, agent two years ago. He is my fantasy pickup every single year. If anyone I've played Dude. fantasy with wants to try to ruin my entire year, just pick up each one more <laughs> before I have a chance to get him. He's never drafted. He was, he's always available, and he's always going to give you like at least 15, 20-plus games a season. He's perfect, and he's been shooting like 58% from three over the last couple weeks or so. And he was a free agent last year, 
or two years ago. I'm trying to remember whatever it was. I think it was when the Knicks signed Noah and Lee. Etwan Moore was a free agent, and I wrote up a big free agent primer, and I had him as the guy that I really wanted the Knicks to get, and they didn't end up getting him, and the Pelicans got him on a good deal, and he's been good for them. So good for the Pelicans. Anyways, so we talked about Lee. Yeah, let's. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 let's talk about Lee. Let's. Uh, right, yeah. I mean, the guy. You know, not, uh, he's doing the other thing, the other intangible thing with Lance Thomas, where they're both captaining the team. I mean, Kyle and I have spoken about this in the past, but that's one of the things that we. Uh, that we that we really take to heart. Like, if there's one intangible thing that you're gonna really like, really think is gonna benefit a team, it's not bench clapping, you know, Joakim Noah. It's it's gonna be the guys who are actually leading and have that you're willing to take the responsibility. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, on the court, you look at it too, and he's just like, he can kind of help everybody out a little bit. He can help Hardaway out. He can help Frank out. He can, you know, he knows how to talk to the veterans because he is a veteran. He's just, I, he's just a great guy to have out there. It's, it's hard to picture trading him right now. But it's like I said in the past, every reason I want to keep him is every reason I want to trade him. Yep, absolutely right. That's a great way to put it. And he's been, like I said, better than I could have even expected this year. So I've really enjoyed watching him play. And if we're talking the team as in the big picture at the macro level, I just don't know. It's hard to say right now because – we can talk a little bit about their schedule if you want to, which is going to affect what they do during the trade deadline because they're 17 and 17 right now, but ton of road games on tap, ton of difficult road games that are going to be really hard to win. And I, you can almost chalk them up as losses already. So they're already working at a disadvantage here. And all of a sudden, if they go out and lose, you know, 15 of their next 20 games, the mindset could change going into the trade deadline because the trade deadline is not for a couple months. So it's something we could talk about now, but I don't think we're ever going to really know. Gun to my head, I'd say they don't really make any big move one way or the other because I think that whatever happens, you're always going to view your team through rose-colored glasses, especially when you have a guy like Porzingis. So I think they, at this point, think that they have a pretty good team that can make the playoffs. Whether that actually will come to fruition or not is up in the air, but... But I think they that have they, they really, right now. they really do want to try though. Like I think that, and it's something I've been championing too. And I was kind of talking about it last year too. That making the playoffs is the biggest thing right now for them because I think it's going to be the biggest thing for KP. Everything starts and ends with KP. It's kind of like we've talked about in the past too. But I just think that, especially with some of the other guys on the roster and keeping some of the vets happy and around for a while, and even with Frank, like. Just making the playoffs is going to do so much for this team's development. It's not, it's less about getting another player. It's more about what this team can do. Um, and, and how much fun would that be as fans? Like, it would be great. It, it I mean, it's what we've all been waiting for. Five years. Yeah. Yeah. Always a blast. Like, just I remember seeing the games. You know, I went to game two when they played the Celtics in the first round in 2012-2013, and they introduced JR as sixth man. He hits the big three. He does the windmill and then the three celebration, which is on our excellent shirt. Yep. Those are just the moments that you remember, and then they haven't made the playoffs since that year, which is forever ago. I was a senior in high school, and I've gone through college, and now we're here, and I have a real-life job, and the Knicks still haven't made the playoffs. So I'm never going to object to them making the playoffs. Let's I just, I, I think that there's three spots, because I think you have Cleveland, Boston, Washington, Milwaukee, Detroit, as locks and then i think when you go beyond that you're looking at and uh, toronto of course i forgot about them so that's seven spots so i think when it comes down to it it's going to be miami new york or philly that is that eighth seed or you know if they ever get a little better i think it'll probably be miami because i don't think Embiid's going to play enough games, but that's where if you're a knicks fan i'd keep an eye on the heat and the sixers throughout the rest of the year because i think that's where the opening is um, and then Indiana two is in there. So I, I still think of all, all those teams I, right now, if I'm looking at them all, I'm liking New York's chances the best. I don't know. I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic. I put it, I just think the heat are the heat have to get healthy. Whiteside just got back. Dragic hasn't been great this year, but they've had guys step up. Josh Richardson has been much better this year. He's been really nice for them. Wayne Ellington is like one of the best three point shooters in the league. They run them off screens. Like nobody's business. He's basically a Kyle Corver for them. They've had a lot of injuries. James Johnson's been down. Deion Waiters has been down. I think once they get healthy, they'll be that team to slide in there. 
and the Knicks schedule just is too daunting to overlook. Yeah. They can overcome it, but there's nothing, 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 nothing to show us that they have what it takes to dig deep and win on the road. They're two and 11 on the road and they play San Antonio tonight and they play new Orleans on Saturday, which is two of the best teams in the West that don't lose a lot at home, especially don't lose a lot to, to mediocre East teams at home. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on with KP the last couple of games. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's not anything terrible, but you take a look at his, you know, his last couple of games compared to the beginning of the season. I know he was on such a tear, but there's just, it's, there's something different. You know, his, his three point shooting is a little more inconsistent. He's hitting like, you know, three or four games, some games, then not making any of his attempts and then shooting from the logo like he did last night. And, you know, and then, you know, it's just, I feel like there's, there's a shooting, but there's also the rebounding where you could have some really nice games and some game he doesn't. There's the blocks where, you know, you can have five one game and one some other. And I know a lot of that is incidental, but it's just, you know, how much of this is him just like going through a stretch or how much of it is, is he just being like an inconsistent player or something? You know, we talked about it before. When you have a guy like Porzingis, I just think you need his skills to be maximized and you need a coaching staff that'll get him in the right spots. And I don't think they've done that with him. When you're looking, I was watching his highlight video against Indiana today, you know, against Phoenix where he was putting up 38, 40 points. A lot of his opportunities were right at the rim. You know, he's driving, he's getting dunks. And when you watch the games he struggles, it almost inevitably is because he's posting up two dribbles over the shoulder and missing. And you need to get him better looks. There's just no two ways about it. Get this man better looks. Get him looks at the hoop. Get him closer. I said it about Porzingis. It's something that he's done better this year, but still could do to an even higher degree, is that he never posts up close enough to the hoop. He calls for the ball a lot, and he's 15 feet away. I'm like, get your ass on the block. Get down there. They'll get you the ball, and you'll be able to take advantage. He's so much taller than everyone. I think we've seen him do great this year, shoot over the top of smaller defenders, and the refs have started calling fouls a lot on those shots, or he gets a lot of N1s because he gets hit right on the elbow. So I just think if you're looking at Porzingis, I want to see easier opportunities. I still want to see him shoot more threes. I think a lot of his three-point opportunities are so clean because the guys that are guarding him never want to come out to guard him. They don't want to come out to the three-point arc. So it's, get him it's those wild looks. though. That's that's the biggest thing that's really I'm struggling with here is because I'm looking at his uh, his three point percentage in the last couple of games too right now, and you know I'm just going to look back the last six games he played, and he's looking at he shot sixteen percent the last game, fifty percent the one before that, thirty three before that, zero before that, went zero for three, didn't dress for two games prior to that, but then you know he put up thirty three percent and then sixty three percent. It's just like. I, 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 he has such a weird, beautiful shot from three. <laughs> and I just want, I like, is he, should he be shoring that up a little bit more? Or is he, should he still be trying to expand his game in other ways? Like, what, where is he at in his development right now? I guess is what we need to know. He's getting there. He's certainly getting there. And the injuries have been a problem for him. You hope that he can go into January and February and be somewhat healthy because it seems like a lot of his injuries have been just little things that have banged him up, which is relieving, but at the same time also a little concerning because he hasn't had anything major, but it just seems like there's always something with him. You know, if it's a knee, if it's the, the bursitis in the elbow, it's things like that. So I just think with him, the biggest thing is that mid range game. I think he does too much of it. It's just, the Knicks are one of the, leading teams in the NBA and mid range opportunities. It's just simply not a formula for success in today's NBA. And it's they've done crazy, a really though. good job. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. It's crazy how many good mid range, you know, scores that the Knicks have right now. Is that one of the reasons why you're a little bit shakier on their playoff placement or is it just the schedule? It's the schedule. It's a combination of that, the schedule, the coaching and their defense, because they also give up the most threes in the entire NBA, mm. but they're only they're 14th in percentage. So it just seems like one of those things where something's got to even itself out. The Knicks are giving up a ton of threes, which a lot of them we know because we watch are wide open, wide open looks. 
and teams are only 14th in percentage, it just feels like that's going to get worse and teams are going to start hitting more threes on the Knicks and all of a sudden you're going to see them lose some more games because they give up all these threes. It's a combination of everything, really. And I don't want to seem too pessimistic because I still think this team is fun and they still have the potential to get there with some better coaching decisions, with some better um, lineup arrangements, having Porzingis get better opportunities, staying healthy, getting Hardaway Jr. back is going to be a godsend for this team because there's so many things he does well that they simply cannot do with him on the sidelines. So, all right. Yeah, last couple of things before we get out of here. Let, let's let's just talk about where Tim Hardaway is at now, um, which I guess really is just that we don't know. Is that he's going to be reevaluated weekly, according to uh, Corden Hornacek, and it's just, you know, I think it's uh, earlier on. I didn't think it was that big of a deal in the sense that I thought the team was playing well. You know, really everyone else kind of slacked it up around them. Um, I, but I'm. It seems like lately they're missing him more than they did when he first went out. It seems like Absolutely. everyone's kind of regressing into the roles a little bit more. And, you know, it was it was a stellar play of Courtney Lee, I think, first and foremost, that kept him afloat when he first went out. But now it seems like the whole team is kind of starting to, you know, crumble without his presence there. I'm I'm just, where do you think they, they miss him the most? Is it like crunch time at the end of games or is it some other time? We've seen him at the end of games do a lot of the things that they haven't done, which is get good opportunities and make the big shot. We've seen him do the shimmy. We know the shimmy well. We know That's the what shimmy they miss. well. Let's go. That's uh, what they miss. One more native plug in there, too. We got that beautiful <laughs> shimmy hardaway shirt out there. Oh, great shirt. I love it. I got a nice orange one. It looks great. Anyways, Ooh. that's what they miss at the end of games, having a guy, because Porzingis can do that to a certain degree, but it's not what you want. You, I'd rather have Hardaway Jr., on the base or not the baseline, you know, out by the perimeter, you know, dancing a little bit and getting a shot. But it's also the fact that the Knicks, I've talked a lot about during this podcast about the Knicks three point shooting, because I do think it's something they need to do more of. He led the team in three pointers by a wide margin, shooting six or seven a game. The most besides him is Courtney Lee and Porzingis are shooting like three. And you're missing all those three point opportunities with him out. So, all of a sudden, the Knicks are even worse in threes than they already were, and they were already bad. They also play never, ever, ever in transition because he was providing over 70% of their transition opportunities and points when he was in the lineup. And all of a sudden, you watch, and every time it's, it's a rebound, you know, it's the slow push. With Hardaway Jr. in the lineup, you were getting some of those easy looks where he'll all of a sudden leak out, you know, easy bucket put it in doesn't always work out, but then he would also be working with Courtney Lee and they would play off each other. You're in transition. You're running more open threes open up for the offense. It's just, it'll have an effect across the whole lineup because we'll have to, we'll get to see Lance Thomas and Michael Beasley in their roles that they were originally designed to be in. You'll see Hardaway jr. Assume more of the scoring like he should. And hopefully that'll help the point guards. I think the point guard play has been a big point of contention for Knicks fans for the last you know week here. They've lost some of these games because of the weak play in the backcourt. Mm -hmm. So with Hardaway Jr. back, and it's something I talked about Courtney Lee a little bit too. He's done a great job of playing as a pick-and-roll ball handler, which is not something we had seen him do in his past in as a Nick. So I think that's just going to have a really osmosis effect across the whole roster when he gets back. And he's been practicing without the boot. He hasn't been cleared to fully run yet, I don't think. So I'm hoping mid-January, cross your fingers, because they're yeah. going to need him for the road trip. It seems to be, uh, it seems to be what they're saying right now is sometime in January he'll be back, and yeah, that's you know that's when they need him. The Knicks play four home games in January. They play five in February. You know, it kind of that's eases, disgusting. It eases up a little bit after that. It, I think even in uh, in March they they have more home games than they do uh, away games. So. It I just kinda, hope they're not buried by that point. That's what right, I'd be worried yeah, about. Yeah, that's the whole thing. If they're still in the running, if they can hold it together through, you know, through January, through February, then they'll be in decent shape by the time, you know, the that last push comes around. But it's a, it's a big ask, and it's an even bigger one if Tim Hardaway Jr. is not going to be on the court. So let's talk about the schedule one more second. Yeah. So they have trips to Denver. They haven't won in Denver since 2006. Good Memphis haven't won there since 2011 which was a game where Carmelo Anthony hit a game winner 
I think it was his first game winner as a New York Nick when they had traded for him. Awesome game. They also play in Minnesota, Golden State, and San Antonio tonight, which Kawhi Leonard's not playing tonight. I don't know if you saw that. Just news just broke. I have not, so but okay. Okay, that's good. Nick's a better chance to win tonight, potentially, even though the Spurs were still winning a ton of games with him on the sidelines. They also go to Boston, Washington, Milwaukee. Those are all going to be really tough games. Okay. The Knicks have historically done terribly on the West. I could just picture them every Denver game over the last five years, and it makes sense. They haven't won since 2006. I'm just like, this game's over. <laughs> They're just losing. Jokic dropped 40 on them at home last year at the Garden, God. and they the Nuggets just blew them out last year again. They have winnable games also, though, where they play Dallas, Brooklyn. They play the Lakers. They play the Grizzlies, who even though they haven't won since 2011, the Grizzlies are very bad this year. It's a very Those are the kind of games game. they have to win. Yeah. Those are the kind of games they have to win. The yeah. Chicago game hurts because that's the that's, game you need to win. Because when one, you go yeah. to San Antonio and play tonight. I oh, mean, both just... Chicago games. The the Philly game hurts, too. You know, Absolutely. It, was, it was right there. It's all of these games. You know, It's not even just the the uh, you know easy away games that they need to grab. It's it's the easy home games that they need to finish out, too. And, you know, that, that's kind of it's kind of just what we were saying about Hardaway. It's he's the kind of guy who I feel like can step up and win you those close games when you need it. Um, you know, he won't always be able to do it. He's not, you know, a megastar by any means. I'm not, I'm not saying we have James Harden on our team here, but right. you know, he's someone who's at least has the confidence to step up. And when he plays with that confidence, he can do some pretty amazing things. So, and as frustrating as he can be from a fan standpoint, when he puts up a shot in crunch time, I don't feel that bad about it. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, we've seen him make big shots this year and we can talk about crunch time as much as we want. Because that's important, but the Knicks just need to be able to get wins on the road against teams they are better than. They are better than the Dallas Mavericks. They are better than the Memphis Grizzlies. They are better than the Brooklyn Nets. They are better than the Chicago Bulls. These are the teams that the Knicks need to beat if they are going to make the playoffs. And we're going to see in January and February if they are the team that we think they are for that we thought they were for November, or if we think they're the team that was leading up to the season. That's going to be where it all comes down to. And they've already played Houston and Oklahoma City, so those are two tough ones that are already crossed off that they have to play on the road. So, But you still got so many other teams out there that are just going to represent a big challenge for them. So that's when we're going to see that their medal is going to be tested. All right, Matt. I'm exhausted on all this next talk. I'm exhausted <laughs> in trying to imagine what the future is going to look like. But I feel like I'm even more exhausted every time I take a look at these new City Edition jerseys. You are so wrong. It pains me you are so wrong. I'm really I, glad I disagree with you on this so we can argue about it. Oh, my God. I, I can't stand these things at all. I think that the you know the, the color blue that they use is okay. But like the way that they pattern the orange against the blue looks like looks like garbage. I hate the silver stripes in between the pipes and everything. I hate the, like... I hate the perpendicular stripe that they did along the sides instead of like keeping it along with the rest of the jersey. I just I don't like, love that either. And and then you know when it comes down to like the one thing I really don't hate about these jerseys is the is the emblem. It's the logo. Like I I'm not a fan of that whole you know small number inside the circle thing. Like the Pacers started you know popularizing this year, but. Yeah. So and and like you know I saw it on a hat. The NBA posted a picture of they were doing like a hat giveaway and one of them was on there. I just think it looks horrible on the actual jersey that I've seen, you know, in the NBA shop so far. And I can't even imagine, like, I can't, it literally, it's making me want to vomit picturing Porzingis wearing this jersey. That bad? You think it's that bad? Yeah, I'm I'm literally picturing KP wearing this thing and it just looks, it looks hideous. Okay, so your biggest concern with the jerseys is... The actual jersey itself, not the logo. Am yes. I yes. saying you, that you're, correctly? You're reading that correctly. I, I'm not a huge fan of the logo, but I don't hate it. Like you could have been done. Okay. I don't disagree to a certain extent. I think the jerseys could have done a better job in terms of, like you said, the siding, and I don't love the piping on it, but I don't think it's even remotely I don't think there's enough going on to have it be that bad. When you look at some of these other jerseys that they have around the league. Way, way, way worse. Cleveland's is disgusting. Orlando's Cleveland City looks, one is really bad. Orlando's one is really bad. I think Cleveland's Orlando's is just like I don't know who thought that would be a good idea to put the stars in space on a jersey. It's gonna look so silly. They're it's running around so like they're in a planetarium. Silly. It's ridiculous. I, I, and you know what? 
I I really dislike all of Cleveland's jerseys that they have this year. But that that one that Cleveland unveiled for us just looks like absolute Terrible. garbage. That that literally looks like and it just exactly what happens. It looks exactly like they let LeBron just you know have at it in Photoshop <laughs> and do whatever he wants. That's just what they do with all their decisions, though. They're like, all right, listen, we don't really know what to do, LeBron. What are we gonna do? You know, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z. Keep the king happy. I also don't really like the Spurs. I, what is their infatuation with the camouflage? Yeah, I I think that just has something to do with like the military bases down in San Antonio. Sure, I understand that part of it, but that doesn't mean that you always have to have a jersey that has that on it. No, I it's think true. it looks terrible. I, I think it's fine. Like I listen, I'm not a fan. I'm not saying that I like camouflage. Uh, camouflage design, anything is pretty much. But I I understand using it for a city jersey because it represents a city. I just think that they freaking wasted it. You know, ahead of in you know, the years past when they forced camouflage on everybody. Um, I, I'm not a huge, like the Washington one is fine. I just don't love the logo. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I think it's so sharp. Did you see the Washington monuments on the side though? I oh, love is that. it really? Okay. That, that yeah. makes it a little cooler. And I just love the way they wrote the district and it's really big. And then they say Columbia under it. I thought that one's really clean. Big fan of that one. One of my favorites. Um, I, I'm looking at what's your like, overall favorite when you're looking at all of them. What's your favorite? I mean, I, I get most hyped. I'm looking at them all right now. Like about the next one, right? Yeah. <laughs> The uh, <laughs> Chicago's one is sweet. Like, Very clean. The Chicago Beautiful one is look. awesome. Just because like, they just like rip the flag off of like the, uh, you know, off of a flagpole and put it onto a jersey. Slapped it on a jersey. Yeah, yep. it, it's it's such a like radical departure from anything they've done in the past, but it makes so much sense. It, it's just I'm all I'm all for it. Yeah, I think Atlantis is really cool, too. It's better than their normal jerseys. I've always, you know, I wasn't at first, I should say. I I kind of, Atlanta's jerseys have really grown on me over the years. So I'm all for that. I, you know, I heard that people are liking the Nuggets one. It just looks too Oh, I love the Nuggets me. one. I really do. I think it's, it's oh, elegant. Yeah, it's sleek. And I love the pitch. Um, What do you call it? Like the pitchfork? Not a pitchfork. Yeah. Um, pickaxe. The pickaxe. Yeah, yeah. I love that logo. So to have that primarily and i just like the color scheme i think that one's really sharp yeah no i i like the logo too it just feels a little um like a little plain for me uh looking through them all right now the golden state one is pretty cool um i really have a lot going on there yeah i I love the logo they have in there but there's the golden state's always been a flashy kind of you know city with their jerseys like that i got i I think it fits into their their whole set too i got no problems with that 100 percent agree with that yep uh pacers one is now do you like do you like the Philly ones as much as everyone else does? I do. I do like it. Like, I think they're going to look great on the court. I there's like, I don't, I'm not looked at it in like, I'm floored. It just makes sense to me. You know, I got you. Yeah. What uh, about New Orleans? Yeah. It's the same thing they've always done. They've had that before. Yeah. yeah. I've always liked that look. Cause I, I think like it. Yeah. It, San Antonio having that look. I think that just represents the city so much. You know, you think Mardi Gras when you're looking at that. Yeah. I think it's so cool. The staggered like numbers on that kind of look weird, but. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, um, I like the Clippers one too. I, I do think the too. Clippers uh, I do is too. another simple one. I just think the color scheme's cool. Yes, and it, you know, I know it's the uh, you know the San Diego colors, but it just looks so much right. like a Flint Tropics jersey, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I might want to get like a custom one of that and just put Moon on the back of it. <laughs> Be uh, fantastic. What else? I don't mind. I, I, I kind of like the Pacers one. Pacers one was all right. Not quite up my alley, but. I like, I like it better than their normal jerseys, that's for sure. Okay. I thought that like the Lakers one is fine. I, I don't, you know, they can do whatever they want with the snake print or whatever. Like, but um, other they than just that, just really keep, yeah, you know, sucking Kobe off just yep. <laughs> years and years and years. They're gonna be doing it. <laughs> uh, let's see the last couple of hits here. I don't like the Suns one at all. It's uh, fine. I just I thought they could have done more considering they're right. They're Mascot is a, a son, and I thought they could have done more because the logo and the jersey is not very bright. It's just purple, and it says low suns on it yeah. or something. I thought they could have done a lot, maybe like a yeah. sunburst. I'm not a graphic designer by any means, so if I did something like this, it would probably look terrible. Yeah. But that's just my thought process when I looked at that. I said, your logo is kind of cool, and you didn't do anything with it. Yeah. No, I don't know. Um, all right. So the last one I want to I want to talk about in here Uh this this one seems to be one of the most controversial ones, but let's talk right, about U- Utah's one. Let me. What, what do you think of it? Okay, here's the thing with the Utah Jazz. Everything about them makes no sense. They're the Jazz. 
They were from New Orleans and they moved to Utah and they never changed their name. New Orleans jazz makes a ton of sense. Great place for music. A lot of jazz people grew up there, learned the genre. When you go to Utah, it just doesn't make any sense. They had jerseys that had the jazz on it, but their whole jersey was mountains when they had Carl Malone and John Stockton there. Again, doesn't make any sense. Then now they've incorporated the jazz, so it makes more sense. But when you look at that jersey, I just don't think it's on brand at all. The look of it's whatever. I don't really – it's just like a sunburst. It looks like a Gibson Les Paul sunburst guitar. Like That's what I thought of when I looked at it the first time. Oh, good reference. Um, I know. I know who I'm talking to here. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I love these things. You do? I, okay. I, I, Maybe it's because they look like Gibson Les Paul sunburst guitars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and just how jealous I've always been for not having one. But um, oh yeah, but no, I'm taking a look at um, I'm taking a look at it now, and I, I just think it's gonna look like decent on court. I don't know what the shorts are gonna look like with it. That's gonna make or break this one. But I I, I just like again, like you said, everything uh, everything makes no sense about Utah. <laughs> um, it's just a and, weird thing they got going on. And I've always liked what they've done though. Like I like their weird like green jerseys they had uh, last year. Um, and I like I've always and I I just like the jazz in general. Utah is a weird place, and I dig that. Um, <laughs> I and like it makes sense to me because like you know they got the like you know it's Red Rocks and uh, right you know, it, oh yeah the jerseys make sense for Utah. They don't make sense for the jazz. So the whole thing is just off brand. But that's what they right. do. And right. I, wait, I have a question. Yeah, do they have specific courts for all these jerseys? Uh, like court designs to go with them. Yeah, because I looked up Utah Jazz Court because I was thinking when they're wearing those red jerseys and if they're playing on their blue and yellow court, that's going to look terrible. Mm. And I see a picture here of Utah with the sunburst. I don't know if it's real, but I think that you need the court almost to match up if you're going to have something wonky like this where it doesn't match up with your color scheme to have it make sense. With the Knicks, it won't matter because it's the same color scheme, just a little darker tint with the Jazz and they're playing on that. That court, I just think it would look so weird if they're playing yeah. in those those red ones. And then all of a sudden, you know, but it's it's one of those things where most home teams wear white. So when are they going to wear those jerseys? Who knows? Who knows? We'll have to see as it yeah. comes out. No, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like the whole like the whole way that Nike kind of you know did the jersey unveil and then like let every team kind of have at it with when they want to wear their jerseys and not has been kind of a mess so far. Um, right. So I we'll have to see about that. In the court having uh you know individual courts for these would be really interesting. I feel like you kind of right. have to wear these jerseys at home though, like the whole set. Yes, yes, if I agree. If, if that was if my it's a city jersey, you got it. It's got to be worn at home. Right, I a hundred percent agree. That was just my thought process because a lot of teams wear the white jerseys at home. So then yeah, all of a yeah. sudden, if they're playing with the red ones and the other teams are wearing some weird color, like if they're playing. I don't know, you know, the Knicks and they have the blue jerseys on. Well, everything just the blue and orange would just look weird. I don't know. I guess we'll no, see. No, something I, to look I, out for. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you. Um, one thing that we did not touch on either because it's not on this list because it's not been officially unveiled yet, but Miami Vice finally okay. making an appearance. You, are you a fan? Fire. Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. They look great. They absolutely fire. It was so easy. So to Miami. Do. So easy yes. to do. How many times have fact, we seen like fake mock-ups of those jerseys? Oh my God. I honest to God, I did this because I saw those jerseys and I was like, oh, they've worn those before. So I looked up Miami Heat jerseys and they hadn't. They had those one, they were kind of yeah. something like that. They had like highlighter colors. Yeah, I remember. And something they had like the that. sideways six on the back or something like that. That was like in the Braun days, right? It yeah, I think it was, you know, like 2012 Braun. Yeah, yeah. I, rem- I remember those. And like, yeah, it's so obvious. Like, it's right there in front of you. You just have to go. Dude, over it. it's a long time coming. So yeah. God bless the Heat fans. Hassan's going to look awesome in those. Yeah. Um, Dion De- Waiters is going to be ridiculous. Uh, let's just hope he's healthy when it comes yeah. back so he can chuck. You know he puts on those Miami Vice jerseys, dude. He is wilding. He's taking Shit, 30 dude. shots. I just, I just dropped him today in, uh, in fantasy, too. I might as well just like pick him back when, it, when they only when I know they're going to wear those. That's Gotta the only time I'm going to start. He's going off. Dion anymore. He's going. All he's right. going off. There's no doubt. Well, we got a game that we have to uh, that we got to do right now. Um, we do. Yeah. So I know this uh, this podcast will surely come out after this game because I am not editing it until after this game. But <laughs> Matt Spendley will be on speed, uh, tweets tonight, and I will be working with our great Clippit uh, partner to put out some awesome video clips for you. So we're going to go do that. I'm going to drop some last plugs here. 
Um, again, like I mentioned before, we got the meetup on Saturday, Smithfield Hall. In the hour that we've recorded, I've still not looked up the address, so you're on your own there. Um, also, Off the Wall podcast, be sure to be looking out for that. Uh, some, some really cool things coming along with that, so I'm excited. Um, also, let's take a look at thenixwall.com. Uh, Matt, you're an editor for thenixwall.com. What's coming up? So, I don't know if we have any pieces on tap for this week. But obviously, check out the stuff we've done in the past. We have Ankit talking about KP at the five. We have James, who wrote a piece up, too. Um, plenty of stuff coming. Once the new year hits, everyone will be able to kind of settle down. Plenty more content coming. Mm-hmm. Always check out the film school stuff, obviously, on Twitter. Great follow. If you're, not, if you're listening to this and you're not following him... I'm not Problem. sure what you're doing. It, 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 he's got it on Twitter. Me. He's got the YouTube channel for like full videos. He's got it's, it's up on our website. You can find Nick's Film School anywhere. You can go to the His homepage. Name dropped on our all web- the time. Yeah, go go on go on the homepage of our site on the nickswall.com and you'll there's videos right there in the feed waiting for you to just hit play. Exactly. Um, you can also hit the play button on the TKW podcast uh, right above that too. Um, do you know who's got the recap tonight? On the recap tonight is I actually don't know. I don't have it on tap. Well, you know what? All all of our writing staff, all of our fantastic writers are just that fantastic. So regardless, uh, if you uh, it's the, James on the recap tonight, and it's James, he always writes a great recap. Cream of the crop. Um, yep. If so, James Woodruff with the recap tonight. Uh, if you miss the game for whatever reason and you listen to this podcast before you try to find out some info on it. Or if you just want a different point of view on the game, James is your man. Uh, James is the man. And yeah. and yeah, I think that's that's pretty much about it. So we'll see all you guys on Saturday. And we will all be watching the Knicks take down the Pelicans together. That might be the luck they need to propel them through this trip. So don't miss out. And that's about it. Matt, it's good talking to you, buddy. I will see you on Saturday. Sounds good, Anthony. All right. Thank you.